All right. Well, we are joined today uh, with Doug Scott from Dallas, Texas. Doug has a uh, counseling practice here. He was super kind enough to invite me uh, down to Dallas for an afternoon. And so I'm super thankful for his kindness and generosity. Um, Doug, thanks for meeting me today. My pleasure. Um, so for maybe some of our listeners that haven't crossed paths with you and your work in the world, um, how do you introduce yourself when you start and kind of say, this is, this is what I do and who I am? Yeah. Well, it certainly depends upon the audience, no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, I would say that the way I understand myself is that uh, my vocation is to be a bridge, hmm. to be a bridge, um, and it can be a bridge between the conventional world and then sort of a, a cosmic kind of thinking um, that people may not know how to navigate in, but they feel attracted towards. Hmm. Um, and so that's the liminal space that I occupy uh, there to help them navigate that, validate, normalize their own experiences, um, and then go at a pace that they're comfortable with. I try not to lead anybody. Um, and if I do, I ask them to stop me. <laughs> uh, really, I'm trying to walk with them. Yeah. But then um, even in totally the conventional understanding, let's just say regular uh, mental health counseling or that kind of thing, then uh, also being a bridge uh, to help them get their own goals. So for example, in counseling, the first thing I say when I'm with a client, like if you are a client and this is the first time we're meeting, I always tell people the way I understand counseling. And I say this to everybody. I mean, this is no matter in Spanish, in English, because I, I lived in Latin America for a few years, so I speak Spanish. Um, I always say to them, the way I understand counseling is that I've been a counselor for 21 years and I see myself in the, it's your car, you're driving, you're in the, the driver's seat, you get to tell us where we're going, I'm in the passenger seat and I'll help us navigate to get there. Mm. But um, I'm also, and I tell this to everybody too, I'm, I'm broken, like I'm completely understanding that I, I, uh, I am not seeing myself as a guru or a teacher or a guide. I'm a companion on the journey as a fellow human who's both broken and whole. Mm. Um, and I say that to people, especially if they're Christian, I might even say like, I'm, I'm both, uh, you know, identify myself with Jesus and the wounded healer mm -hmm. archetype, yep. you know, yep. broken and whole. And if there's something I can offer somebody because I've gone there myself, um, then that's nothing gives me more joy. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, that I tell people right off the bat is to the degree that it's appropriate, let's say, is that, um, I also have anxiety disorder and have had depression. Um, I know what that feels like, and it's not an absence of the anxiety and depression that counseling helps, but really how to handle it in a life-giving way mm -hmm. so that we have a sense of agency to deal with the anxiety and depression um, and see them like I see them, my own mental issues is actually friends and teachers mm. to help me keep grounded and balanced and empathic mm. um, to people. Yeah. So Beautiful. the thorn is the great blessing, as Paul would say. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, the bridge metaphor, that, that uh, rang true for me. When in life did you come across, this is who I am, this is what I'm meant to do, this is this is sacred space for me. Because I think we're all in search of some type of, I'm a bridge. Like that's a massive moment to just mm -hmm. say, this is who I am. When, when did that become something that when you When it knew? emerged from sort of this unconscious yes. to subconscious to conscious. Yep. Um, I would say that has been probably the past seven years. Wow. Um, so 14 years into counseling, you know, doing this and you, yeah. No, at that point, uh, the f 14 years into counseling, I would see, and I still do see myself um, this way too, but just not as defined as the bridge piece, is I see myself as um, it's a ministry mm. where I am, if I'm dealing, especially if someone is Christian that I'm seeing, for example, is I tell them that uh, my own theology, the way I understand it, is that I am only... I've only seen one person in 21 years of counseling. 
that person, capital P, is Christ. Mm. It's the broken and risen Christ that indwells in you, and it's the broken and risen Christ that dwells within me that is connecting to the Christ in you. There's mm-hmm. only one person. There's only one exchange here. Um, and so you, because people ask me, like, how do you do this every day? And don't you need a break? Because I'll see somebody else. Like, do you want to take a five-minute break before you see me? I was like, no. I don't get burnt out because for me, it's like, it's just the same Christ mm-hmm. come packaged in Ashton or, you know, somebody else, you know, Felipe yeah. or whatever. Um, it's the same Christ. And to be really honest with you, um, I still see myself this way too, is if I had a voc- it, when I describe my vocation in more conventional settings, it is simply to help the person encounter maybe for the first time or re-engage if it's happened more than once and perhaps learn to live from their anchored self. Mm. And their anchored self, the, the term anchored self is, is a play on words that I describe as the true self. Yeah. Yeah. Vis-a-vis the, the floating self would be the false self. Okay. So I have a whole way, a whole presentations I do in public or in counseling. Um, the listeners can't, but you can put, can you put oh, yeah. like Yeah, I can put stuff? images. Yeah. Um, so I have two important, This I mean, you, they're broken because I use them so much. I really, I don't want to hang them up because my wife says, it doesn't go with the color theme. So I don't. But um, so you can, what what I've got here is I've got like uh, three sort of concentric, three circles. The bottom large one is going to be the, the um, this is God or, cry, or God or the ground of being um, doesn't really matter what metaphor we're using but uh, and if it's an atheist and someone who doesn't believe in there any transcendent reality at all I could just talk about let's say the common humanity mm-hmm. something that's bigger than us that includes right. the, our sort of nature yep. you know yep. but then this would be the anchored self which is anchored into mm-hmm. the larger reality and then our floating self um, is floating above like a balloon mm-hmm. just getting bashed around by the winds of emotions um, of the day. Today I'm great, tomorrow I suck, you know, and <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah. And to look at the floating self, the false self is not the bad self, yeah. but as a self that becomes dangerous, and you're gonna hear me channeling Richard Rohr yeah. this whole time. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> channeling, um, oh, I'm sorry, it becomes dangerous when that is the only self we know. Right. And for 90% of people that walk in here, they've never known another self. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that we can talk about the the um, that there are two selves yep. and then help them embody their anchored self, learn the energetics, embody, like how does it feel when I'm in the floating self versus the anchored self yep. and help them discern that. That's my job. Yeah, yeah. Because the anchored self is the Christ self. Yes, yeah. yeah. Let's walk with that for a bit. Sure. Um, I uh, so we did a whole series. I think Parker was on it. Uh, oh. True self, false self. Back in the really? spring or last year, I can't remember what it was. Mark Nepo, a uh, handful of guys. You no may kidding. Know. I've yeah. read Mark Nepo. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Parker Palmer. I told you, um, I've read his books. I give it away. But he was is a primary teacher of mine. I'd love to meet him. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. Anchored and floating. So the, yeah. these are. I think it would help me. Um, because I, lo- I love these ideas. I just need to build some formation sure. around it. Um, the anchored self. Uh, totally given. Yes. Total gift. Total gift. Um, what else can you stack on top of that to kind of... The anchored self? Yeah, the anchored self. Or maybe sta- maybe with this formation, stacking something on it's not the right uh, words, <laughs> words to use. That's um, right. I, first off, I actually... I've been in dialogue with Richard Rohr. He's a friend of mine. He's actually, no, I should say he's my spiritual father. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, we had a very meaningful exchange a couple of weeks ago where, where we were able to say in, in person, um, you know, love you, father, love you, son. And well, it was just really well meant, well. Um, connected. And uh, I, so he and I, I months, or no, years ago, I actually told him that I, use the true, his true self, false self understanding. Of course, he gets it from Thomas Merton. Right. But, um, so I see myself in a lineage. Beautiful. Um, and then I'm, but I'm taking it and applying it in a clinical setting that works. And what's really weird <laughs> is because 
Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, like musicians, like what was it? The, 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 yeah, let the music play. Yeah. yeah. The way I describe myself is that I play, like counseling for me, and using a metaphor in that way, or four-ish, yeah. would be to play jazz with relationships. Oh. Because one needs to know music so well in terms of a jazz context that you forget that you're playing jazz, and then you have a dialogue that there's... It's both yet grounded in theory and is improvisational. In flow. In flow. Yeah. Um, but only one can do that from an anchored self level, yeah. not a floating self. So um, what I said to Richard is this is how I'm describing the anchored self, floating self um, with people. Uh, true self, false self rather, and I'm calling anchored self, floating self. And then we taught together, we co-led a, tr a retreat on the Trinity back yeah. in the CAC in 2018. And I presented this formally there um, and people really reacted to it because now they could see, mm -hmm. uh, see in, in sort of a, a way that it provides some level of visualization, but also um, takes away the, the perhaps possible negative connotation of the word false. If you kind of yeah. see it as floating, then you don't have the overlay of the negativity as false because it's not negative. Yeah, and there's an invitation in floating to detach, which is so hard to do. Right? Well, the way my model understands it, again, informed by Christianity and um, Richard and Thomas Merton, it's actually not a detaching. Hmm. It's, okay. It is a pulling down because um, this is probably overly clever and not that helpful, but when I present this, I, I do present that there's... a string okay. between the anchored and floating um, and the string I call it the holy tether because I think it's it's tethering but it's holy it's sacred mm -hmm. and that the point of life ultimately is to embody the anchored self the true self more and more as we can but that um, we use the floating self to do good in the world mm -hmm. so there's an agency from in, you know that you're grounded embodied in the anchored self but then you use your gifts your image your all that stuff to do good in the world and so the actual movement um, and this is I got this directly from Parker Palmer so you can tell him this if you see him but it's because I remember in grad school he talked about something about the real movement quote up of course Richard Rohr then talks about falling upwards it's it's up it's actually down and in the, right. the spiritual movement right. is down and in right that's what I teach. And so that the ball, the floating self is a movement down and in so that it, so that as one becomes more embodied in the anchored self, the movement comes, the floating self is brought down from less compulsion, um, down to a secure attachment upon mm. the anchored self. Mm. It never goes away because it's, it's, it's as holy, if you will, as the anchored self yeah. and it becomes yeah. a part of the anchored self. Um, and so the, how this, but then I might teach how the floating self falls down and is, you could say being pulled down, um, comes from, as Richard Rohr uh, describes as the great love and great suffering, right? Those two pronged, the two doorways, the two doorways. And how do we learn to our great love and our great suffering is how the floating self actually hmm. descends. Hmm. Is that, is that into, I mean, that's, that's sort of how I see it. I don't know if that works for you. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Yeah. No, it, it, I think in a way it, br it brings the, the false self a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. I, I think some of the language is like, keep me away from that. Yes. Don't let or me kill it or kill yeah, it. Kill it yeah. Bad. Don't go there. Yeah. Richard spent his life saying, this isn't the bad. This is not, not bad. bad. I mean, he says it over and over that's and over. Right. Yeah. But I think that's helpful language. Um, of, of it being nearby and it being okay. Right. And so when I teach the Enneagram, I'm, I'm doing that at a big Enneagram, at a, a training at a big church here in Dallas in a couple of weeks. And I always teach the Enneagram. Um, first, I tell the people, I need an hour to talk about the anchored self, floating self, and then I'll teach the Enneagram. Wow. Because the way I teach the Enneagram, again, based upon Richard, but then other teachers that I like, is that the, if you know the Enneagram, the virtue yep. of the type would be akin to the anchored self and that the vice or compulsion yep. is the floating self. Yep. And um, both work together, but as you learn to become, 
what I call, you know, average to healthy spectrum, as opposed to the average to unhealthy spectrum. When we do average to healthy spectrum, um, then we are living more and more from our virtue type, the virtue aspect of our type, or more from the anchored self. So this is also a great way to talk about the Enneagram yeah. and then marry the, those two together. For sure. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Thank um, in, in studying a lot of your work, um, a, a few of the things that I've noticed um, were, were one, your humility as oh. to what you teach with. Um, I think some of the presentations I've seen you do, you actually begin with like, hey, I don't really know don't. what's going on here, yeah. <laughs> um, which is uh, such a healthy place to, to begin with, right? Um, out of that certitude and really into a spirit of curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I wanted to chat through, and I think that you would be helpful maybe with some of your own path and story, but yeah. also just the hundreds if not thousands of people you've sat with over the years is how we move, how our evolution of consciousness yeah. keeps going, how we take that next step, how oftentimes in the traditions that I've grown up in, mm -hmm. um, a next step into the mystery is a bad place, yeah. uh, is a bit too liberal, a bit too progressive. Yeah. Um, or new agey. New agey, dangerous. Yeah stay here, stay in that lane, it, which, which is weird, you know, that like I am actually finding, you know, the words of, you know, the narrow path, like mm -hmm. the narrow path is actually continuing on the path of mystery. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the... Oh, that's good. Repeat yeah, that again. That's yeah, really good. Yeah, the, the narrow path yeah. is actually the path where we keep continuing to step into the mystery. The, the mystery. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so hold my hand on okay. coming across new ideas in the world. Yeah. Affirming that which is good, true, and beautiful that's not really within your brand. That's not feet. affirmed by uh, the foundation that you came from. That's right. But but you can't stay there because something is calling you um, I don't want to, I don't want to say better but more expansive. That's I, I I over and over so many of our listeners and friends of mine that I have this seems to be the conversation we're having. Uh-huh. That we know we're being invited. Yeah. We know we're being drawn or pulled uh, in healthy ways yeah. into new ways of being. Right. Um, and yet there's a lot of folks saying, come back. Don't go that way. Most people would. Yeah. And uh, if you're familiar with the work of Brene Brown, which you said yep. you were, then um, the way people pull you back is either overt or so sub covert or overt. Uh, illusions to shame, to shame you back into the foundational area because they're uncomfortable. And, you know, if they're working from, say, the blue meme, the blue level from Spiral Dynamics, they're actually worried about your soul. You know, mm -hmm. They're worried, in the name of love, come back, I want to see you in mm -hmm. heaven, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and when you, earlier, I will get to this because earlier, uh, and this is actually where I'm at in my life right now, is... Um, a companion to be a bridge. We talked about being bridged, being a bridge. Uh, it, it is a total surprise to me in some sense where I'm at in my life right now, but on other senses I've always been this way, mm -hmm. is um, being a bridge where I myself, and this is the part that I hate because it's so, I mean, I'm going to say painful. It's dark night, depression, mm -hmm. painful. And, um, that I only guide, or not guide, I only walk with people with some level of um, maybe more assurance than they are mm. because I go through it first, <clears throat> first where, yes, I have mentors that help me, but I also leave the path of the mentor, not higher, but mm. di different in territory that I myself am walking around and experiencing pain. Hmm. Um, and I don't have somebody, let's say, walking with me insofar as telling me the next steps in, in my journey, but it's been people who have affirmed me. It's like, I love you anyways. Hmm. You know? um, and so my job, in a sense, is to be, a, be somebody that I wish I would have had or could have had hmm. to help me 
Right. But I never would be able to do what I do if I had somebody like that, in a sense, because it's been my journey to feel the pain. And that's why when I talk to a lot of people, um, when, they're, when, they, when they're feeling a certain level of anxiety or sadness or whatever, um, or fear or whatever, I know it, to the nuance, I know mm. exactly what they're feeling because I, I felt that maybe even just recently. Your own hero's journey. In a sense, yeah. So this is another, um, before I get to that cause, that stuff there, this is actually the second big thing that I use. Um, so oh, wow. what we're looking at is kind of a, a horizontal hourglass. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, you, can, you can probably see that and already see the teachers that I'm reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm a visual person and I'm a pedagogue, so I always like to teach. Mm -hmm. and this is... So what we have here is that on one side, um, I guess the left side on your, if yep. you're looking at you, is the old room. And then, and it's nice and beautiful. And I actually have a colored gold because it's always so good looking, mm. the old room, you know. Familiar. Um, familiar. Yeah. Uh, and then you get thrust into the liminal space, which is sort of the space in between the, you know. The, um, the disorder. It's the disorder that's so yeah good we have order disorder and then reorder the new room is the other side um and what i oftentimes i teach people just this motto and we'll spend several sessions just on locating them in the liminal space mm. locating their journey as you leave the old room liminal space is too painful there's no mentors to affirm you there so we yes. go back to the old room yes we redecorate it but it never is satisfying, isn't it? Yeah. It's not. Um, yeah. That even, no more no mentor thing rang true. Yeah. That you just said. You just don't have any mentors because yeah. there's not a lot of people who can in our in our society who can weather liminal space, except for people like Parker Palmer, Richard Rohr, these kinds of teachers that make it known on a popular level. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, man, how do you know how to weather that? Now, um, what some people who are a little bit more advanced uh, in their journey, what I tell them is when you get to the new room, that's great, but the new room becomes- It's gonna well, turn gold soon. It, it becomes the old room. <laughs> You're already seeing where this goes. Yeah. And then you have to do the journey again. Yeah. It's the pattern of everything. So eventually what we see in I, I, mature spiritual people on any path, psychologically and spiritually mature, are people who actually make their home in liminal space. Mm -hmm. Like that they're Moses in the desert saying, I'm never going to get there. And that's actually okay. Or to, to pull on from Jesus's archetype. Um, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. The son of man has no place to lay my head. And that's <laughs> actually the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So there, so to to learn to build your mansion upon the <laughs> the constant sifting shifting sands of liminal space is actually the sign of maturity, wow. and that's where somebody who's in that liminal space can handle both um, sadness and joy mm -hmm. together, or or both. I'm I'm I don't know how I don't know where I'm going, but I know how I'm going to get there. A comfort with paradox. Yeah. Holding those two together, because in liminal space, we have the complexity. You, you learn to hold complexity, um, but it's so uncomfortable. So that's why people want to get out of there as soon as you can. But then when you've done it so many times, you learn to actually make the uncomfortable comfortable. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So going back to the belief systems. Yep. Um, in my own life, uh, I have always been attracted to mystical levels of Christianity. Um, I remember early on in kindergarten, first grade of, of having a sensibility of, of, of feeling intuitively the presence of Jesus and then having not visions insofar as seeing Jesus, you know, with my naked eye there, mm -hmm. uh, but having uh, an, an absolute knowing that takes a place in the inner eye, let's say, of a vision of Jesus mm. that is nonetheless true. Mm. Um, it's seeing with the inner eye, the, the, the heart eyes, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, Jesus, Mary, my guardian angels, just always having a, a sense of the presence of 
these beings that I'm learning about, you know, through my religion of origin, which was Catholicism. Um, and then always being attracted to reading lives of the saints. I mean, where, where a lot of kids maybe wanted to read books about, I don't know, comic books or whatever. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I was always attracted to the lives of the saints mm -hmm. and the mystical ones, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, or I would be reading books on the paranormal and <laughs> I didn't know why I would be dabbling in these things. Uh, nobody in my family, I mean, I've, I'm still considered the weirdest person anybody in my family's ever met. <laughs> We make a joke of it now, but, um, in, and so I, I went to, I was thinking about being a, becoming a priest. You want me to go in this direction? Let's do it. Oh, okay. Perfect. I was thinking about becoming a priest for a long time. Uh, a Capuchin priest. I was very attracted mm. to Franciscanism and yeah. Franciscanism in fact, um, has been with me since I was about second or third grade, never knew a Franciscan, yeah. was attracted to the story of Francis again, having that sensibility of presences. Yeah. Um, I mean, I totally know what the person of Francis feels like mm. in terms of my relating. Mm. Uh, there, there's an ab there's an absolute mm -hmm. relationship I have with Francis that is as real as anybody I know in, in, the, in the flesh here. Wow. Um, and there's an energy, energetic signature, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, um, then after college, I went to University of North Texas here in Denton and studied um, psychology and Spanish. Then I went to Nicaragua for two years with the Capuchins in a lay missionary program. And all the while, I'm learning to um, marry my love of service with discernment of priesthood, religious life, uh, bringing tapes of Richard Rohr and listening to them in the jungles. I mean, that's a weird <laughs> juxtaposition there. <laughs> Um, and then I get out, come back to the States and what is true when you, be, when you do a mission, ministry like that is you're told you actually don't become a minister or you really don't begin your ministry until you come back hmm. because I was completely converted, if you will, in Nicaragua. I left Texas as a, uh, you know, a, not knowing the world at all, but would see myself as Catholic apologetics, you know, studying Catholic, teaching Catholic apologetics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very conservative politically. My dad listened to Rush Limbaugh, so that's what I grew up with. Yep. Um, didn't know any other way to think. And then in Nicaragua, saw so much that opened mm. my eyes. Mm. Boy, was that painful. And then coming back um, to the same people that actually had never gone through any of that kind of liminal space movements in their right. life. So they're still right. hanging out at the same, you know, bandwidth of consciousness. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. It's just yep. that it's not where I was at. Yep. Um, how do you become a compassionate witness to yep. whatever truths you learned in a way that is not um, feeding into any of the negativity or shadow that you see? That's the real nuance. Cultivating compassion, uh -huh. not inflating your own ego. Yep thinking I've seen something you haven't seen. Yes. That's that's a very interesting place. But at the same time, saying that I do see in some ways things you don't see, because that's also true. Right. You know? Right. Uh, experientially. Right. And now, now I can say that it's mine. When I came back to the States then, I went to um, Boston College and got two master's degrees, one in clinical social work and one in pastoral ministry. And then um, met my wife, actually, in CatholicSingles.com. And she had done um, four years of work with the Franciscans really? in Philadelphia. Um, she went to Princeton and did every year she would go, every week she was going to the soup kitchen in Philadelphia um, for four years. Wow. And then she was there for a full year as a Franciscan lay missionary volunteer, like I was in Nicaragua. Wow. Wow. So we, uh, Franciscanism is very, very yeah. close to our heart. Yeah, yeah. I share all that because um, back in 2013, it was April of 2013, I was bumping up against the ceiling of, and I wouldn't be able to define it this way mm -hmm. then, um, this is only now I can say this, but bumping up against the ceiling of um, the 
religious background that includes Richard Rohr's teaching and all of these other teachings that I have. So you could call it, you know, more mystical and progressive, but mm -hmm. bumping up to the ceiling of that and wondering what else is there. Mm -hmm. And I heard, felt, I mean, think of the word heard slash felt. It was, I don't know how to describe right. that, but a nudge voice that said, listen to a chant. And this was after 10 clients, 10 hours of seeing clients, uh, I was finishing paperwork and I'm right in front of a computer. And uh, so maybe I was just brain dead, maybe that was it. But I, I said, put on a chant. Because just prior to that, I was praying. I was like, okay, so what's next? I'm sort of feeling a desire, but I have no idea what this means. Mm -hmm. Only that I said something towards a cosmic help me, mm -hmm. uh, which I think was interpreted as there's a readiness. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the chant, what was what was also weird about this invitation was it wasn't about a Gregorian chant. I love Gregorian chant, and I, I listened to it a lot yeah. um, and had at that point, but that was not the chant that I was being called to. Mm. It was a Buddhist chant, mm. which I had, I had no idea about Buddhism, other than it was respected by people like Thomas Merton. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Um so I typed in Buddhist chant on YouTube, pressed return, and what came up was the first thing that came up, I clicked on it, and it was Om Mani Padme Hum. Om Mani Padme Hum was, the, was this chant. Mm. And what I learned later on, uh, what Om Mani Padme Hum roughly means is something, something similar, probably doing it wrong here, but something similar to how... Um, the one and the many are one. Mm. Um, and, and really it's the law of one. Right. And what happened again, when I turned on that music and the music started to come and the chanting started to come, I felt, saw, not with these eyes, but with my heart eyes, you can call it- Third a, eye. Third eye, yep. an overlay of the world around me was a golden dew, sort mm. of energetically falling around me and encircling. And um, there was a, a freshness, a levity about it, um, an inclusiveness. It was intimately familiar, yet there was, and it was a transcendent quality, um, but yet it was also new. Mm. It was a freshness, new, familiar, all those weird things at the same time. And um, that launched me into, I guess, where you would, that's the next book in my life. Interesting. One book was not closed, but maybe this is part volume two yeah. of the same story. And what I became insatiable in terms of my thirst was the metaphysics behind Hinduism, um, mm. especially like non-dual stuff, uh, Buddhism, uh, Sufi, more Christians, but uh, never mind apologetics. I want to know like the depth. I want to know the experiences of mm. the John of the Cross. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so these kinds of things I started in new age stuff. That's the other thing too I wanted to mention is that I was always steering clear of the new age because of the fear of dabbling into you know the devil and all right. that stuff. But all of a sudden, what was new age? What I was reading there. And then when I was reading in Hinduism, was starting to, in my mind, mm. there were some parallels that, that I didn't see in Christianity. So that made me really interested. Mm. But I had no idea what I was looking at. You know? So I was launching into a place that was at once exciting, but also anxiety provoking. Mm -hmm. Because I knew that I was leaving my wife behind in a sense. Mm. Not that we're, we talk about spirituality a lot or anything, but... Um, you know, she has, she has no interest in this kind of thing. <laughs> so, so I knew that there was a way in which I, I needed to learn how to integrate that. Yeah. 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 And so being in that liminal space, even with someone that close to you, mm -hmm. right. I, I guess has been, I mean, what have you learned of, of, uh, let me ask it differently. What could you invite someone? whether it's ritual, practice. I mean, I, I don't even want to give you ideas of when, when you are in a new yeah. way of seeing. Um, 
it's a it's a hard place to be. There were a couple of things that I did do concrete that really helped. Yeah. One was um, I serendipitously was introduced to a Christian uh, spiritual director. Yeah. A friend of mine, PhD count psychologist, had this guy, and he kept raving about how you know deep this at that point psychiatrist was. He was also a spiritual director, Christian, trained by the Anglicans himself, a Presbyterian, um, was writing a book on Jungian psychology. He was a super deep guy. Yeah. And um, this is going to be an arrogance. What I'm about to say is arrogant. But anytime I've ever had ever tried a spiritual director in the past, um, within the first 10 minutes of my connecting with that spiritual director, it was already clear to me that I was either at speaking already their language. I could sense that there wasn't anything I could be offered other, and they could sense that too subconsciously. And we began to talk as peers where they were disclosing stuff to me as if I was their spiritual director. <laughs> so I didn't want that anymore. And that's yeah. why I didn't have one for a long time. But this guy, uh, his name is uh, Dr. Troy Caldwell. Um, and if anybody's actually looking for a Christian spiritual director, I, I recommend him. But he provided for me, I, when I met with him, he was so patient. I, I, the first session was probably two and a half hours where he got three words in. But I, I just needed someone to, to hold a space yeah, yeah. so that I could just throw, if, if you've got five, 20 different screens on your computer, I need someone to be able to hold all the tabs open. That's right. Your questions, the angst, the wonder. The... Mm -hmm. And all the things that are exciting me. Yeah, yeah. Um, without saying this is dangerous, this is dangerous. What he, and he did exactly that. Mm. Uh, not only did he do that, but he also met me where I was at and then helped me to, um, he, would, he wouldn't say like, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And he would never say, I disagree with what you're saying. But he would say, um, let's walk together in that. So mm. we might open up a portal together, you know, a door into mm -hmm. something and then um, have a dialogue based upon what mm. my response would be to that. So, uh, at once pastoral, but amicable at the yep. same time. That was one thing I did. The second thing I did was um, I started to do centering prayer. Vis-a-vis yeah. um, -vis Cynthia Bourgeau's work. Yep. And um, that gave me a practice that was stable and grounding where, and the notion, the, the notion behind centering prayer is actually to learn how to live in liminal space mm. um, because to live in liminal space requires one to let go whenever it becomes in, in whenever it isn't interesting to your consciousness that there's an attachment mm. here whether that attachment is in, if you're doing centering prayer whether it's an image or an idea but if in life if it is an anxiety or or a certain kind of um, uh, angst if you will to also let that go mm. And, and then come back to a place of, it is darkness, it is a dark night, but the dark night is not because there's it's an absence of something, it's because there's such a plenum, such a fullness, that it actually short circuits the, mm. the mechanisms to see anything, yeah. so that's why it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but So centering prayer was, it was an embodied practice that I could do every morning for 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then together, and then, I'll, and then I would explore, and so then I would talk to uh, Dr. Caldwell, and then do centering prayer, and th and then keep reading, and those things mm. help me. Yeah. And so, um, are you at a place where you've found a contentment, a peace on your own journey, and not really, it, is it the ego that needs everyone else to come along? <laughs> You know, because I, I think there's a lot of us that have that conversation of why why have others not seen what I've seen or why aren't they where I'm at? And it sounds like you found a peace in some new worlds that have excited you. And it's really not. Is everyone else going to come along? You know, but that wisdom, what you just said, was long in coming for me. I may have I may have been able to cognitively say that, but as a lived gnosis. Huh. Um, as yeah. a gnosis, which is a lived experiential knowledge, that took lots of years mm. and a crap load of pain. Mm. And that is precisely why I see myself as a bridge. Mm. So 
people's pain doesn't have to be as intense because there was needless pain in some ways mm. looking back mm. um, based upon my own um, I would argue mental illnesses or mental health problems mm. that, that, why it was so painful uh, which doesn't need to be that way yeah so let me give you an example of what I'm talking about um, is that okay perfect yeah. yeah the the levels where I was moving into that was exciting me would be concepts um, that I felt were uh, in opposition to conventional Christianity as I understood it. Now, now I see a synthesis, mm. but only it's because I've done the work in my blog, which is sort of narcissistic because it's, huh? The Cosmic Christ. The CosmicChrist.net. Yeah. And that's been my, my, it's been a letter to me. <laughs> it's 250 letters to myself yeah. to help me synthesize these yeah. things. Well, the podcast has been my own counseling session. Yeah, so. <laughs> you understand. Yeah. Um, and if other people are, you know, it's helpful for them, then that's that's yeah. the point. Yeah. What I have found is that um, things I were interested in would be things like, you know, is reincarnation real? Mm -hmm. um, and how can one understand that? Uh, is is there some something to be said about subtle bodies? Um, what exactly is the salvific work, work of, let's say, Jesus, if atonement theory, because I had rejected atonement theory, yep. but that was a long process too. Yep. I mean, I probably don't have to tell you about that. Because yep. <laughs> 95% of Christians, especially in our state, That's Texas, right. will understand Being Jesus saves in only one theory. way. Yep. So, but once you, once you move through atonement theory to at one mint, you know, yep. Uh, but then, and then see it in, in sort of the universal Christ aspect that's clearly there in scripture and in tradition. But Richard Ward does make very popular. Mm -hmm. See, he's a bridge. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm only walking on behind him. <laughs> um, once you've done that, then that opens you up yep. to look at Jesus, to look at Christianity, look at all of this. It opens you up to not... To, not throw away all of these other things that our other traditions are, see, are saying and experiences you may have, it opens you up to not see them in opposition mm -hmm. to your to our own reality bubble or belief system, but actually can be incorporated mm. in fleshing out mm. what is already there. Makes room. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes Increases room. your capacity. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, people now talking about include and transcend right instead uh, of transcend and include uh-huh yeah it's include and the in the actual work of including it in life-giving ways through discernment companionship include and then that inclusion the process of inclusion and, and separating chaff from wheat whatever wheat from yeah wheat from chaff is itself a transcend it leads to yeah. transcendence yeah now, in my own life, um, I was I, I was so intensely lonely mm. in my private life because no, I could talk to nobody. Mm -hmm. um, and my wife still, you know, it's like, Doug, I love you. I, I do believe you're delusional. <laughs> I think a lot of the things that you say are actually, you know, delusional. It's okay. A lot of people yeah. have this delusion, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I love you anyways. <laughs> but that was uh, the, the peace that I have with that now was not what I experienced mm -hmm. then. Um, and a lot of that is because I was introjecting or um, the counter transference I was feeling towards my wife when she was oppositional and some of the things that I was wanting to explore was really my mom's voice in my head. Interesting. Uh, using shame tactics to kind of keep me in to a certain paradigm mm -hmm. religiosity mm -hmm. um it wasn't my wife's fault it's my own inner work that had to be done through many years mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. and then um the other thing too is there is an absolute necessity i think if you're going to do the spiritual work well is um to realize that we need companions but there don't have to be many of them, A, doesn't have to be, and B, um, that there's a way in which uh, 
you also are going to be alone too. So you can have companions and you're going to be doing a lot of work alone. And to people outside that were in your, in say normal daily life or former companions or something like that, they might look at you as, yeah, there's something going on with him. Not the same Doug. Yeah. There's not, it's not the same Doug and we're a little bit worried and you know, that kind of thing. They're going to be projecting something on top of you. Mm -hmm. um, but what's going on inside you, sort of in a hermit kind mm -hmm. of way, you mm -hmm. know, this, this need to go off from the crowd and pray, yeah. uh, that archetypal movement, yeah. that um, has to be honored mm -hmm. when you move into these levels of spirituality. Yeah. So it's both companionship and spirituality. But the issue is, is how do you have the companionship when you're moving into these worlds mm -hmm. and how do you trust whatever you're doing? Mm -hmm. um, and so what has happened in my life is that I will, I spent lots of years kind of looking, knocking on doors on the, on the mm -hmm. you know, internet, you mm -hmm. know, knocking on doors and kind of seeing what's, what's there. Um, nothing ever really there were things I liked. Mm -hmm. you know, I was very hungry, very lonely, very hungry for this stuff. But what I decided to do eventually is form an, my own community. So mm -hmm. you mentioned you have a community now. Yeah. Um, and I, I do too. And so two years ago, we, I, me and uh, uh, three other people um, formed a community that has organically kind of grown, mm -hmm. um, but it's still very small and we're going to keep it small. It's an online community, but we have a, a you know, like a Slack presence mm -hmm. kind of thing, but also we meet on Tuesday nights and we talk about these things, the cosmic things. Yeah. Um, and we call ourselves building forth. Mm. Um, there's, there's, you know, that was a name that came to me and then I voiced it out and uh, everybody liked it. But that has now given me a place where I can finally say, so 2013 to 2021 is that I feel stable mm. um, spiritually in the sense that um, not that I'm in the new room, I'm still in liminal space, but I feel that there's a companionship yeah. of, of like-minded spiritual people. There is the uh, people in my life that I had before any kind of awakening um, that I love and interact with, but don't need to share any of this right. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's not wrong. It doesn't I, mean I love them any less. It just yeah. means that, and I can enjoy talking about baseball and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it's, and it's not even superficial. It's, I love those relationships and would die for them, but yeah. it doesn't negate the fact that I still need an area to explore these things. Mm -hmm. And then most importantly to me, to my heart is, that my own love for and relationship with my wife has only deepened, mm. even as her, our mutual participation in a shared spirituality uh, is, from her perspective, uh, Doug's kind of crazy, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> love him anyways, and we go to church together, because you know, I still don't throw any of the Christianity away. Yeah. Yep. But from my perspective, um, I do not need her in any way. In fact, I argue it's best if she doesn't understand me. I don't need her to understand me. Mm. I don't need her to be on this journey with me for us to be absolute soulmates and closer than ever. Mm. Um, because what actually happens is uh, philios, if you will, the friendship love, yeah. the friendship level, uh, it does morph into an agopic level where it's unconditional love mm. that's not there's no mandate that we have this uniform belief system unwritten rules yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so with that said I then, need you to be this for me and I'll yeah. be that for you and with that said um, that has been my own journey too because when I've looked out into let's say the internet world or other people that I've talked to that one person quote awakens yeah. and, the other, and the other partner is not. Um, it's been my experience. This doesn't mean it's it's true. Yeah. But my 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 experience is that statistically it's going to be eighty to ninety percent 
where one person feels like they have to leave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then of course that can be devastating to a marriage, bewildering to the partner that is the unawakened one. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm trying to provide through my own lived experience of being a bridge that mm-hmm. that does not have to be the case. Mm-hmm. You can actually go the opposite way and love them even more. The bonds can be more strengthened. Yeah. Vis-a-vis diversity. Right. 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 Yes. Uh, couched in unity. Right. Versus uniformity. And that becomes a lived reality. But it takes a spiritual maturity for the, quote, awakened one to realize that Mm -hmm. in the name of awakening, uh, Mm -hmm. you better not. uh, Maybe you got to go through this. I don't know. But awakening feels like you're moving higher than. Mm -hmm. And therefore, Mm -hmm. that leads you to search out people, quote, in your frequency mm-hmm. level, and you're only going to be happy with a partner that is now your soul twin and your frequent. You know what I mean? You've mm-hmm. heard that. Maybe yep. you've seen this. Yep. Instead, it's going to be go deeper with the intimate partner that you have to find whatever you feel you're awakening in as, as, an, as an awakening person is actually found in the relationship and in the depth of that person anyways. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that's such a that's a beautiful insight, and I, and I think you're right. So often you do hear someone got woke, right. quote unquote, yeah. and next thing you know, you've got issues on your hands. Affairs. Galore. But there's there's actually, is this a way to say it? Please correct me yeah. if I'm not saying this right. True awakening actually leads to a new, fresh love, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm piecing that, uh, that together. That might be the case for people. And I, I it wasn't the case for me yeah. so much. I, I wish it were. And that, so that's why I'm trying to help people. To, yeah. Not yeah, to, yeah, yeah. But for me, it was a combination. And maybe, maybe this is actually what it needs to be for people. I don't know. But for me, the awakening process is going to always be a mixture of both the ecstasy of awakening hmm. and anxiety. Like it's both. It's mm-hmm. the there's an ecstasy and an anxiety, and the anxiety is many. There's many reasons why that, but one of them is well now how do I understand my relationship with my partner? That could be one anxiety mm-hmm. that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Even as so because there's the belief, and it's not mentored otherwise in these circles, these awakening circles, is that if you are leaving the um, partner behind then you owe it to yourself, your, you know, your truth to find somebody who is resonating yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's normalized in these awakening circles. And it is from my perspective, because I was so grounded in, um, uh, good Christian theology, um, uh, psychology. Yeah. I could see the spiritual bypassing that is, and the narcissism mm. that that could that it's often the case I'm not saying always but yeah. often the case yeah 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 interesting yeah you unpackage that in a beautiful way that I haven't oh, I haven't heard someone do before and I think that that's super necessary to hear that on on all on all of our narrow paths really how to walk it with another you know mm-hmm. especially the the one that you've been entrusted to even if they don't right now believe or accept where you're at or never will and that's okay in fact my wife says like my version of heaven this is our joke between us the two of us (laughs) my wife and i my version of heaven is you know where i get to sit in heaven and read psychology and spiritual books forever And, and she went, she goes on record by saying my version of hell is where I have to read psychology and spiritual books forever. <laughs> so you can, you yes. can't be any more opposite. Yeah. 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 Yet, And I'll say this too, but my wife's spirituality is, um, m- more, it is deeper and more authentic than, than I think mine is in many ways. And it is, she is my teacher. Mm-hmm. because she literally goes the grind every day and encounters Christ and her patients every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a leader in, in the medical world, but she does it with such humility and Christian, and Christian um, uh, authentic Christian service that I literally hold her, and I will to the day I'm, I die, as my primary teacher in my life. Well, 
of simplicity. Yeah. So she's way more Franciscan than I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in your efforts to maybe swim in the complicated world, she brings it back to yeah. that which is now. Simple. I could argue, of course, we made this soul contract prior to <laughs> incarnating here that yes, I would awaken, <laughs> and no, you wouldn't, even though because you know Kelly, our bond is actually going to help me do my work, which you'll yeah. never understand when we're you know yeah. on the other side of the veil. <laughs> So yes, Kelly, we have yeah. done this many times yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. To which she says, "You are so delusional." <laughs> and it doesn't. Maybe I am, and maybe on one hand, and maybe uh, there is this cosmic reality that she's yeah. yeah yeah doesn't have to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, love it. I love it. Um, I always ask um, people I interview, um, like, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, and that could be a year ago, or that could be 20 years ago, 30 my, years ago. What advice I'd give to my younger self? What I would say is, to my younger self, I would say, well, it's, it's weird because there's a part of me that wouldn't give any advice at all. Yep. I would, I would just kind of stand back with a smirk and keep going. Yeah. Only <laughs> because I trust the process now in hindsight. Um, but what I would, what I think would have been really helpful. Let me put it to you that yeah. way. Not that I would do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if I had the opportunity to go back in time and do this, I wouldn't because yeah. I think I, all the pain that I've gone through has been precisely mm. what has led me to be who I am, even though I'm a wounded healer. Mm -hmm. Maybe especially because I'm a wounded healer, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so whatever gifts I have, it's because I've got this pain. But um, what I would say is it would have been nice to have somebody come in and uh, take me by, you know, like grab me by the shoulders, you know, sh gently look me in the eye and say, uh, I get you. Mm. And uh, it's okay. And the loneliness that you're feeling, the alienation you're feeling, the way you don't understand um, certain, uh, how you feel like you're an outsider in a group, um, even though there's nothing on paper that would suggest that you are, mm -hmm. um, and how you are interested in things that nobody else is, and how you feel alone and all of that, there's, there's an, a reason for it, Doug. Mm -hmm. So just trust that there is and it's okay. Um, and I would simply say, I see you, I accept you, hmm. and, and I would walk away. Yeah, yeah, well said, <laughs> beautiful. Um, I feel like I could do this all day, and I probably have so many more um, questions that would take us down about four. We four, haven't even four, touched four, the four, cosmic four, stuff. Four, yeah. four hour path. <laughs> um, but um, can we do another episode one day? Of course. That'd be great. Would love That'd to. be great. Yeah. Um, Right on. Well, I'm super grateful um, just for getting time with you and for you, you know, sharing and your generosity. Yeah, um, if our listeners want to follow you and your work, whether it's online or even the practice you have here, what's how, how would you invite them to do that? Two things. Um, if they're in Texas, uh, then I can, I my license is good for any in the state of Texas. Gotcha. And so if they're in the Dallas area, we can actually do it in person. If they're anywhere else, um, Video, I, yep. I have found video now for a year and a half to be as effective, really. Mm. Um, and some of this energy work that we've just talked about yeah. is because it you know, can still be effective. Yeah. Um, so I'd be happy to walk with people in that way as a counseling, spiritual kind of thing. Um, but also, if people are outside of the state and want to connect with me, um, I do spiritual coaching. So that could be a service. And, you know, that... Again, it would be via video, but that would be fine. I yeah. love doing that kind of stuff. I do that as well. Uh, now, you can go to my website. My, I have two websites, the conventional and the cosmic. <laughs> the conventional <laughs> website is DougScottCounseling.com. And so okay. that you can get a sense of what I offer counseling-wise. Um, Enneagram. A lot of people find me via Enneagram circles. Gotcha. Um, Spiral Dynamics. Yep. We work on that, too. Uh do a lot of training in the area um, or elsewhere around these areas. But if they're interested, now if you drink and 
I, I haven't, I don't drink anymore, but if you do drink, you know, make sure you have two or three glasses of wine uh, before, before you go to CosmicChrist.net. Before you go to Cosmic Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to say, but if you feel called to explore some wider metaphysics, yep. um, CosmicChrist.net, as long as one understands that whatever is seen there can be held with a looseness mm. and you anybody is free to reject it or hold it put it on a shelf bring it down later on if something makes sense something rings true beautiful if it doesn't it's okay too perfectly said yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and so if you feel you're, you're right at an edge where you don't know what the next thing looks like but you're interested curious even excited about exploring um, even a lot of paranormal reality mm. uh, and you want to see how that somehow synthesizes with one's own say Christian background uh, then go on there and see and I can help you discern right on right on well thank you again for your generosity it's been great yeah thank yep. you man yep. appreciate it mm -hmm.